I'm Felina. And I'm Summer. And you are listening to Broke and Broken. <laughs> because we're both. The podcast about living your best life by getting real. Hey, broken people. This is Summer. Just a note before we get into today's episode. I apologize for anyone who can hear the incessant clicking in the background on today's episode or the fact that it sounds a bit hollow. Apparently, the microphone, <laughs> something went out in my microphone and we couldn't tell while it was recording um, none of the waves on the screen looked odd so we didn't know until after the fact that it has that annoying sound but as you can hear I have gotten a new microphone now so soon enough you will have clearer sound again and I apologize but please if you can manage it uh, stick it out and listen because Rachel has some amazing things to say and I really think a lot of people can get something from hearing her story. So today we have Rachel. Rachel, this is Felina, my co-host, that looks an awful lot like an iPhone. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. Hi, I'm sorry I'm not there. I have fibromyalgia, and my body just hurts, which, yeah, I joke about using marijuana, but I really need it as medicine. All right, Rachel, so why don't you tell us about yourself? Where are you from? I'm from Oklahoma City. Here, I lived in Tulsa for like seven months when I was 18, mm-hmm. and it was miserable. <laughs> and I called my mom and I said, "I need you to find someone with a truck to bring me home <laughs> because oh, I don't no. want to live here." <laughs> Sorry, Tulsa. <laughs> so, I hear a kitty. Yeah. Yeah. What's the kitty's name? Her name is Juby. Um, I call her that because when she was a kitten, she ate a jujube. <laughs> so I started calling her Jujube, but that's a mouthful. <laughs> she sounds very sweet. Well, she's not. Is <laughs> she, she an evil cat? cat? She is an evil cat. I love her with all of my heart. She scares people. <laughs> oh, no. Because she'll come up to you and she will do the sweetest meow and she'll crawl on your lap and she'll get comfy and lay and look at you with her belly in the air and you'll go pet her and she'll bite you. I mean, I'm kind of like that, so I get it. Um, I have a friend who um, used to be a police officer. She was a police officer for almost 10 years, I think, and she refuses to have a cat because the idea scares her. Because mm-hmm. she says, do you know what happens when you die? A cat eats you, and they start with your face. Because <laughs> she, she had done so many crime scenes. <laughs> that oh happen with the cat. That she's terrified of cats, and she won't have one. <laughs> Well, good. I didn't want an open casket anyway. <laughs> I mean, the fuck you gotta eat, right? Right? I'm like, I'm not gonna need that face anymore. I don't want a kitty to die. I mean, you're not using that. It's fine. Kitty might be hungry. Yeah, it's really generous of you to give up your face after you die to feed your cat. <laughs> That's true love right there. That's true cat ownership love right there. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted. I just wanted to, to address the elephant, or in this case, kitty in the room. Uh, uh, but you were telling us about yourself and uh, living alone for the first time. Yeah. Um, when did you decide to move back? I'm sorry? What did you do after that? Oh, I, I moved back in with my mother, and I got a job waiting tables in a restaurant, and I stayed at that restaurant until I started at DHS when I was 27. <laughs> so I heard the tone <laughs> drop when you said you moved back in with your mother. Yeah. So, happy family? I, I love my mother. She's my best friend. We are, like, if Rory and Lorelai existed in the Shameless universe. Yes! <laughs> I would pay to watch that show. 
watch Shameless to get the rest of that reference? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> nice mix of both, honestly, if I'm being honest with myself. <laughs> so is your mom Frank? <laughs> she, I would say a mix, a really good mix of Fiona. She's okay. got the tenacity and drive of Fiona. Um, a bit of the craziness of, what's the mom's name? I can't remember the mom. I'm, I'm, um, I don't know. My dad was definitely Frank. Ah. Oh my god. Yeah. For sure my dad was Frank. Right down to the denim jackets. Oh no. <laughs> oh my, so was he, was he ever scheming? Uh, <laughs> did he have ploys to earn money in odd ways? He did. Um, the first time I got to visit someone in jail was when he had gotten arrested um, for stealing identities with some guy he met. I hadn't seen him in probably eight months. And he called from jail one day and was like, I am in jail. Surprise. Would you want to come see me? Oh, so, my gosh. So I, I jumped in my Honda Civic and 17 years old drove to the county jail. How long did he get in there? Probably two months. He's <laughs> just like, nobody's coming to see me. I guess I'll call my daughter. Oh, my gosh. That's definitely a bit of shameless uh, now he right was there. Addict, right? Yes, yes. Um, he he was definitely big into crack in the 90s. And, um, well, that was the thing then, right? Mm-hmm. And he was, he was a massive alcoholic. And... Um, with it his whole life. He spent a couple years sober when I was in college, but that didn't last. He moved in with a um, a locksmith and started working with him. And the locksmith was a heroin junkie. They had oh. met at Clay's Crossing for free oh, yes. mod. I am familiar. <laughs> that happened. Yeah, and, and um, actually his brother was in what is that like there's some Band from the early 2000s from Oklahoma that was kind of like Nickelback. Uh, Hinder? Yes. Uh, oh, I saw them at the uh, Diamond. <laughs> it, it was, yes. Yeah, the Diamond is where you would see a band like yes. that. Yes. <laughs> Wait, hold up, because I know all those guys. Uh, what did he play? I don't know. I know that the guy that my dad was with, his name, his last name was Garvey. That's all I really remember. Oh, I know! I know exactly who that is. Well, he was a musician. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. No, my a couple guys in that band are from Guyman, from my hometown. And oh, my, I forgot that. Yeah. Yeah, my very best friend from high school is married to the drummer. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Oklahoma is very spread out, but very small. Very small. Yeah. Yeah, there's, it's not as populous as other states. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody. <laughs> so how did the end up relapsing, you know? Um, uh, I, you know, he relapsed while he was in Clay Crossing. Um, which is pretty typical, he, really. Yeah, he would, uh, and he stole a bike from them one night and bicycled to a gas station in Seminole. Which I'm not good at gauging directions and distances, but Seminoles, that's quite a ways away. Quite from... a ways, but on bike at two in the morning. He was a lot younger then. He was in his four, early 40s. And you know, when you're determined. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's a pretty far way to go for some natty life, though. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, if I. 
<laughs> I live two seconds from a liquor store, and I'm sometimes like, nah, because <laughs> you don't need it that bad. <laughs> wow. So did they, did they let him stay after he stole their bike, or did they make it I don't think they knew about that. When they finally kicked him out was when they let, after a certain amount of time, they let you go home for yeah. weekend visits, and he went on a bender. Um, he went, we went to lunch, uh, this place, it used, there used to be this place on 63rd in Western, I think it was called Coaches. it's long since been demolished, but it was across the street from where, um, there's that new Starbucks, and where they just tore down that Tex-Mex restaurant, but, um, he, he said he was going to the bathroom and then he never came back to the table. Oh, okay. And I was like, okay. Like I do on a bad date. Yeah. <laughs> Ghosted by my dad. <laughs> so I knew there, there there used to be a Henry Hudson's right there on Western. Okay. And um, I called them and I said, can I speak to Drew Holder, please? I know he's sitting at your bar. <laughs> he and they were like, um, there is one guy sitting at our bar. I'll ask him. And he goes, hey, are you Drew Holder? And I heard hear him say, no, my name's Travis. And I was like, that is him. Tell him it's his daughter. I'm 17. I can't come in there. Because it was right after, before you could go into Henry Hudson's. I grew up going to Henry Hudson's with my parents because kids were allowed places. But then when they changed the smoking laws, kids couldn't go in anymore. Which is probably good. So did you get left in the car? <laughs> Pretty much. No, I think I just started staying home and downloading music on LimeWire. Oh, I heard about LimeWire. So I drove up there and walked inside, and I was like, you've got to come with me. <laughs> Jagging your daddy out of the bar. Yeah. Um, wasn't the first time, and it wasn't the last time. Yeah. Well, once I, I had to get him from, there used to be a bar on, on May Avenue. Uh, called the dugout and him and his friend Sean his friend Sean was a paraplegic he had taken LSD and went on a drive to California with a friend and they got in a car wreck and Brian the other friend died and Sean became wheelchair bound and um he was like yeah so I mean there's there's a lot of background for why my dad was the way he was and his mother was a schizophrenic she was institutionalized when he was little um and that's common with addicts I mean yeah there's that meme going around right now that I really like it talks about you know marijuana is not a gateway drug alcohol is not a gateway drug trauma Trauma. is the gateway yeah because it's usually unresolved trauma that's leading to that compulsion for sure, and um, I don't know. I, I I never really tried to think about it painfully, but it was just kind of funny to me being 16 and in my first car going to the dugout because he he and Sean have been kicked out because they took ecstasy and were acting weird. <laughs> <laughs> and so, oh my gosh, my nature was to mess with him and be like, you know, it drills holes in your brain, <laughs> and so he's all high and freaking out and. I'm just making up all this stuff that ecstasy can do to you that I don't, I don't I didn't really understand what ecstasy was yet. <laughs> you know, messing with the guy who's high is funny. Yeah, but I'm like, let me give you a little dare <laughs> of course on the way home. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. 
I mean, what a coping mech, what a great coping mechanism. <laughs> right? That's what I was just thinking. The reason we can laugh about this is because our lives have been really messed up. Yeah. We have another friend who has led a very sheltered life that when we tell stories like this, she looks at us <laughs> completely horrified yeah. and say, what? This stuff is real. Are you making this up? Oh, wait, I'm sorry, we forgot. <laughs> this is not everybody's normal. Yeah. Well, remember when we had to explain to her the concept of a garage apartment? Oh, I forgot about that. I was like... Now, mind you, she thinks she grew up in a modest house. <laughs> and it is three times bigger than any house I've ever lived in. With three <laughs> floors and a full basement. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. life, she will never understand. Yeah. <laughs> I told her once about washing laundry by hand out by a clothesline, and she swore I was making it up and lying what? to her. <laughs> like, no, honey, that's what you do when you don't have a washing machine. Yeah. <laughs> or boiling water on the stove because your gas is cut off. Yes. So that you can wash your clothes and bathe yourself. And bathe, yes. <laughs> I've done that more than once in my life. And quickly trying to get all the food into the ice chest when the electricity gets cut off. Right? <laughs> First, it's like, don't open the refrigerator. Now, you got to go 12 hours for stuff ruins in there if you don't yeah. open it. Yeah. <laughs> get it down to a science. <laughs> and, and somebody messaged me yesterday because she makes a lot more than me and it's only her she's supporting and she still has money problems she says I don't understand how you uh how you manage money I said you just get really good at being poor it's a skill yeah and I've been much poorer before than I am now so it seems easy now yeah it's like payment arrangements and and payday shops and yeah it becomes intuitive (laughs) you just don't even think about it when Selena and I were in law school we went to law school together there was a a classmate that I had to explain to how to go to how to pawn things. She didn't know that was a thing, and she literally didn't have money for food. I'm like, let me tell you what you can do. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, you, you, you got to keep track of those tickets. If you want your stuff back, keep track of the dates. Yes. <laughs> so we're, there'd be like, okay, the, if we want the TV back, we got it. This one's the most important. The juggle, the yeah. rotation. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> By the way, if you need lessons in hustling, we take cash app. Uh, $10 a message. Uh, so how did things end up with your dad? Oh, well, he uh, pretty much just the same until the day he died, really. Um, we uh, The last year of his life, we went to Enid and picked him up from Garfield County Jail. Um, he had been driving drunk and wrecked his car and got arrested and my mom left him in there for like a month and see the thing with my mom is they they never got married but but were they together that whole time but they it was like they were together but they weren't okay. it was like he was up there living with another woman but it was just like it always came back to them just right. like they could codependency runs in yeah. my family. Okay. <laughs> Lots of examples of that in mind. And so it's finally she just went and got him because it was apparent that um, the woman's name was Barbara, but he called her Barbie. Um, wasn't going to take him back this time. She had already moved another guy in okay. to her house. The surefire sign. Yeah. And so we went and got him. And it was weird because it was a Sunday. 
And apparently, you can only order three two here at the Buffalo Wild Wings in the Garfield County oh. uh, bar. The bar in the Buffalo Wild Wings, Garfield County. So apparently, Sundays you can you can't even order liquor. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't serve by drink. Uh, yeah. So I don't know how it works now that there's no three two beer. Maybe they don't get to drink at all. <laughs> I remember. I'm, sh- I'm sure some laws had to have changed, but well, yeah, they changed the law, but I don't, don't remember what the the distinction was on if you can sell on Sunday or not. Yeah, um, I think also it, we can we can vote by county now for Sunday sales, but I don't think I have heard any counties. Yeah, you can do it by county, but the thing is, you either have to be it's kind of an all or nothing thing. Yeah, and so if you, all your regular regular bars that could since there's no distinction between high point and low point. Yeah, they had to either take, do everything or nothing. Yeah, so that must be why the Red Rooster can sell liquor now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as they have a liquor license, they're good. There you go. Um. Anyway, so we we were just I remember sitting there, and my parents being like, "This is crazy." I'm like, "Nick, he stab it from jail." Again, <laughs> you guys are upset that you can't get more than three two beer right now. <laughs> going down highway 412 and I crossed these train tracks and now I know where a deer hit my car oh <laughs> and it was just kind of like the beginning of a really weird dark year because that so that deer hit my car it flew back behind us and then the train went by and I don't know whatever happened to that deer we just drove off and then my mom got robbed at gunpoint at the Red Rooster Oh my god. Yeah, they her and the bar she was up there because she forgot um her wallet or her laptop or something and so she'd gone back up and she knew the bartender. Hannah, I am sure you know Hannah. She's a musician. She's really well known. Uh yeah. And you're talking about the red rooster rooster over on thirtieth and Walker. Yeah. Yeah. And my office is like within walking distance of it. it. And it's like totally different now. Yeah, it's completely different. I, I went in there for the first time this last weekend and it's like no it's wild how different it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was it, at the at the time of the story, it was like a hole in the wall beer bar. Ah, okay. With, well, I mean, it was that until just like about a year ago. How long ago was this with your mom? Uh, 2013 is when okay. the story happened. So they were they were leaving. She was Hannah was like, just hang out with me while I close. And so they were. She was closing up, and my mom was keeping her company. They go to walk out the door, and this guy sticks a gun in their face. And is like, get back inside. Hmm. And they they took all of her tips and all of the restaurant money, which the restaurant kept in a in a uh, bank bag in a drawer. Very secure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but also good. I mean, that could have saved their lives. That right. it was that accessible. It's easy. Yeah, could just take it and go. And then, um, so that happened. And then later that year, um, it was right before Halloween, and I was a dancing concert at the diamond of course you were <laughs> and i remember thinking the worst thing in my life that night was nobody was dressed up in costume and so i looked like a weirdo <laughs> love it and i love being the only person dressed up <laughs> <laughs> that also happened to me at foster hall when i went dressed like a gnome and, and nobody I was there in costume I need pictures of you dressed like a gnome. Okay. I'll try and find <laughs> this one. This will make my life <laughs> I knitted the gnome hat myself. 
and and made, made a uh, I've made a poodle skirt without the poodle. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but um, that night, my dad he we lived in a really old house over off Twenty Second and Walker, mm-hmm. and uh, none of the doorknobs worked. And so in the bathroom, you could lock yourself in there, and it was on the second story, and so. If you shut the door all the way, you couldn't get out. Okay. And so he didn't have a cell phone in there with him, and he had been drinking all night and jumped out the window because oh. he didn't know how, no one was home to let him out. And so he broke all of his ribs, and oh. he crawled back in the house. And my mom called me at 3 in the morning and was like, there's something wrong with Drew. That was his name. And uh, I was like, what's wrong? And she goes, I don't know. He's downstairs screaming at the top of his lungs. And I was like, well, call 911. So she called an ambulance. He spent 10 days at OU, and they let him out, and he came home on a Thursday. And we're not sure exactly when he passed away, but it was sometime between when I left for work on Friday at 4.30 in the afternoon. I was the last person to ever see him ever, ever alive, and we found him Saturday night when we got off work. Mm-hmm. So we just when right. and they didn't do an autopsy so we're not really sure how but I mean, they didn't no they did a toxicology report and that was it they did not do an autopsy Oklahoma law requires an autopsy for all unintended deaths that's that's what I was under the impression of <laughs> but it didn't happen and we didn't have the money for a private autopsy right. so it was just kind of like you know he was he was 52 he had been drinking since he was 13 ish and at that point, he was going through like a handle of vodka every couple of days on top of a 30 pack of Natty Light. Mm-hmm. And he was taking more tabs for the pain. And that was before they. I wonder what his liver looked like. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just his body probably just couldn't take it. So. Especially after the damage from the fall. Yeah. It was just weird because the the night the Friday night before I, I I was a waitress still and I was leaving for work at like four in the afternoon and I went in the bedroom I gave him a hug and I was like I love you and he goes this is the stupid thing that I've ever done in my life and I was like I agree with you and then an affordable creation commercial came on and I was like so glad you didn't die oh it was but I got to hug him and kiss him and tell him I love him and That's that was good. that was our last moments together and so I will always have that. And he's not in pain anymore. He, he, just this world was too much for him. People were always dying around him, and he never. His mother passed away in '92, and he passed away in 2013. I don't think he ever got over it. Yeah, I mean, life is very hard. I always. I have a friend who's an addict, and I don't know if he's clean right now. When he texts me sometimes, I'm not sure that he is. Yeah. <laughs> Even if he says he is. Yeah. You know how that goes, but it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch because no matter what's happening around him and even when things are good, mm-hmm. he's still just trapped in this misery that yeah. he's dealing with. And it, it's heartbreaking to see him go through that year after year after year. Yeah. The way that you described uh, that really reminded me of my mother and she was never she could never admit that she was an addict even though we knew she was mm-hmm. uh, she, she took um, pain pills for her addiction and it, she hid it and 
but she was so sensitive and after she died you know I knew that she wanted to die mm-hmm. and that she was relieved and no longer in pain and and she was always just so hurt so sensitive so feeling of everything that was happening in the world around her she was so much an empath mm-hmm. that I and I feel like a lot of addicts are really incredibly wonderfully wonderfully sensitive people yeah. who just don't know how to deal with such strong emotions you know we're not equipped to learn how to really deal with that you know mm-hmm. what I mean and a lot of us aren't taught mm-hmm. I mean no. I wasn't yeah. taught at all how to productively deal with your emotions no. oh me neither yeah yeah and so if you don't know how to to process those things in a healthy way it, yeah. it doesn't take it's not hard at all for that to become yeah and and I think that's, that's even why you will hear people say I just can't believe he's an addict he's from such a good family and I'm like, like that is so aggravating to me I just want to shoot yeah. <laughs> you don't understand addiction do you, at all do you understand the complexity of human beings at Obviously all? not. <laughs> Have you ever been a human? I yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I've... laughs> but you hear that so often. That's a, such a common narrative is to, think, is to think of addiction as some sort of moral failing instead of yeah, a, a disease. Mm-hmm. What it is. Um, it's, a, it's a mental health issue. And... It's hard to also be on the outside because you don't know what to do and no one no one teaches you how to deal with it. So you you're on this pendulum of codependency and enabling and then you get sick of that, so you swing to the other extreme of tough love and not just removing yourself and it's like I'm trying to figure out where the line is between supporting someone and enabling them mm-hmm. is a moving target yeah I have found and it definitely is yeah and I'm I usually am not sure I'm on the right side of it honestly I'm just like trying to figure it out yeah and it's also just weird I think it's a lot like in a zombie movie how they must feel when they see their loved one as mm-hmm. a zombie because that's what it kind of feels like because it's like that's a really great way to describe oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's their face, but that's not them. Yep. And yeah. you want them. Mm-hmm. You and want you them you, so bad, and yeah. you're helpless to yeah. fix that. Yeah. Well, how do you think, uh, you know, growing up that way, like, what are some of the things that you've seen in yourself that you've had to you maybe cope with or overcome that... Uh, you know, were a direct result of, of being exposed to that. Because, I mean, that's not a normal way. I mean, like, I had to, you know, I thought I was kind of trained in my brain to think it was normal to show up at my mom's home and find her, you know, passed out in the puddle of her own vomit. Well, that's mm-hmm. not normal. Like, yeah, I should have probably been going to N.A., but I didn't know. And for a 16-, 17-year-old to consistently pick up their father from the bar, drinking from all that, you know, like, what – what has been some of the things you've seen in yourself that um, uh, you you think maybe were because of that exposure? Oh, definitely the strong codependency. Like that, that is something I struggle with daily, <laughs> and and causes me a lot of anxiety. Um, and just also, I think I got into the wrong field <laughs> for that because now it's just like. The weight of all of my clients' problems. Oh, yeah. Are mine. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're empathetic at all, let alone an empath, or you know, if you 
struggle with codependency, yeah. Because you do. You feel all of that. And you've got the client crying to you mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And you feel that. You know what they're yeah. what they're dealing with, trying to figure out how they're going to feed their babies. and Or I had one calling me because her daughter just died. Like yeah. She had just got the phone call five minutes before yeah. I talked to her. She, and you were the first call. Yeah. And well, I had called her because we had an appointment, and so the timing just happened to coincidentally, and so she just answered it out of reflex, not mm-hmm. thinking, because she and she's still sitting there crying. Oh. And yeah. I'm just and so I just hear her sobbing, like, "Okay, are you okay?" And that's when everything comes out. And yeah, yeah I mean, social work is a tough field if you. If you feel that, like if you're empathetic, but then on the other hand, if you're not empathetic, Lord, we've seen some workers mm-hmm. that aren't, and they're yeah, terrible to they, people. They shouldn't be. No. Yeah, that's. I think that's what keeps me in it so much. Like I, I sit there and I update my resume and I'm like, out of here, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, I feel like I can't abandon them, which is, I mean, to my detriment, right. really, because because <laughs> they pay you nothing and they're yeah. taking years off your life. But, <laughs> but then you get that loyalty and to people and um I I it, my mom was impacted by it in the same way where she's got this issue where she's not a very good judge of character and she will take people under her wing and they'll take advantage judge. of her. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh no. Quit bringing these stray puppy dogs home from the rooster. Right. <laughs> it's what we used to say. Aww, we yeah. lived walking distance from it. We lived at um, 31st and Walker oh, for okay. a long time. And so she would just find these broken people. And, and you just want to take care of you them. You do. And yeah. <laughs> we're like, you, you've got to take care of them to a certain point. <laughs> you got to have boundaries. You can't and bring I everyone think... home. Yeah. Well, like having an addict as a mother, I think. Uh, like less specifically and more generally just dealing with addicts as a a parental figure uh, makes it difficult for you to know how to set boundaries Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I just didn't really understand the concept of boundaries uh, because my mom had none, Uh, you know? And so like get into adulthood and the concept of, oh, I need to set boundaries with people so they don't take advantage of me, so they don't suck the energy or life out of me, mm-hmm. or, you know, you know, just to put myself first is a foreign concept, because uh, you grow up with these incredibly, because addiction uh, is, is, I mean, it's a, a disease, but it also is a, a selfish disease, you know, because mm-hmm. you hurt the people around you as you hurt yourself, um, but yeah, I mean, just the concept of boundaries was so foreign to me, and that was definitely a, a lesson I had to learn on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, just because she didn't know how to do that, you know, I didn't either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it, you. When you grow up in that environment, you're more friends with your parents than you are right. a, a a child and, and parent. So. And that, it was the same with both my parents. I mean, my mom, she struggled with pill addiction after my dad died. I mean, she, she would drink a magnum of white wine and a handful of Lortab oh, wow. just to cope and get through it. And so I am hyper aware of the addictive mm-hmm. personality that runs through my family. So, and I, I struggle without eating. <laughs> so it's like, it's, if, if I'm upset, I mean, my first instinct is to, Where's the bag of gummy bears? 
you know, they're very progressive, but they're also very Baptist. Oh, baby okay. boomers. So, <laughs> so it's it's a weird mix. Right. So they they sent their baby boy to Kansas to play college basketball at a Catholic college, which was you don't do that because the Catholics are witch doctors. Right. <laughs> but they did, and, and he found marijuana there and got kicked off the basketball team and had to go back home to Fayetteville and then found meth and then yeah. found Klonopin who stole a golf cart and broke we into broke, yeah. yeah, broke into a snow cone shop and made a snow cone and got arrested. I mean, I have been tempted to break into those snow cones and make my own. He was living his best life. Right? Yeah. There have been days. But so did he ever relapse on the meth while you two were together? No. Okay, well, that's no. good. Um, I don't think it was necessarily, like, I mean, he smoked a lot of marijuana. I mean, obscene amounts of marijuana. So he just <laughs> wanted to be constantly altered. He yes. Like... I don't think meth was really, like, if he, if he hadn't been arrested, I don't think he would have ever gone to rehab or anything continued with it. I think it was a, his parents were like, you've got to go to rehab right. to get out of this trouble and find God. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, so when did you when did that in, uh, relationship end? How long ago? Uh, almost three years ago to the day, actually. <laughs> so July of 2016. Um, I just was like, you know, I we'd been trying to dissolve that relationship. I moved into an apartment, and I said, I'm going by you're moving in within your in with your friend Brian of course that didn't happen all this stuff ended up at Brian's but the person didn't where did the person go Rachel the person went to Rachel's apartment and so because those codependency binds are tough yeah. to break and you know honestly being at DHS I, I started at DHS in March of 2016 and I don't know just being around normal people normal compared to my circle of people at the time, you know, I was in the restaurant industry. So, I mean, it was just dysfunction everywhere. So out of all of the dysfunction, we were the functional people. Oh. <laughs> but then okay. I see this whole world of, like, people in normal, happy marriages, normal and happy by, them, relationships. by themselves. Right. Like, you know, you can, you can be by yourself and be happy. You can be in a relationship and be happy. Uh-huh. You don't have to be in this apartment mm-hmm. of angst right. and, and anger and I mean misery. misery yeah it was just it, you know it was all the holes all the walls had holes in them because he'd get mad and punch holes in walls and oh my god it was just he wouldn't keep a job and I was like I'm, I'm gonna be 30 soon I've had I've, I have a normal job now and it's time for me to have a normal life. This is not a normal life. <laughs> it's just, I don't, I don't even really know. I can't tell you what it was. I just woke up, I guess. That's good. And well, my grandmother had gotten diagnosed with lung cancer that year. And she just kind of was also like, Rachel, you've got to get out of that. It's like, that's not a healthy relationship. And you got to move on right like, please don't stay stuck there <laughs> and, and my I mean my grandmother was with my grandfather until he died and he was an alcoholic and but they didn't even live together the last 10 years of his life she made him buy her a house 
over here off May, and yeah. she was like, I want a pretty house that has nice things, and you can't give me that, so you're going to buy me one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I just, I did, and then two weeks after, after I kicked him out, I met Sam on Tinder. I was day drinking at the Blue Note. <laughs> That's how I ended up on Tinder. <laughs> yeah, my Dave friend. Dave drinking with a friend, and she opened yeah. her profile. Yeah, she, she was my, my friend. She was going through a divorce, and I was like, let's get on Tinder, <laughs> and we're going to find some strange. <laughs> I mean, two weeks is a long time. <laughs> I have a three-day rule, so two weeks is a yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean. Yeah, uh, there's <laughs> many ways to break the cycle. Right? turned out to be a good functional relationship so how does that feel I can't tell you how how, um, incredible it feels I mean I just like I don't know I I, for the first time in my life I'm middle class and happy and (laughs) I mean that's a big deal when you grow up poor guy yeah it was like he bought me name brand mucinex the other night and I was like holy shit like, did we hit the lottery? What happened? <laughs> and not Tylenol either. That's Mucinex. Wow. That's like two dollars more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but also, it's just like the the respect and love and yeah. I don't know. It's just it's fun. There's no holes punched in the walls. I'm here to witness. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's a nice, happy, clean house, which is not what I had before. Right. <laughs> I'm glad you broke that cycle. That's great. Yeah, that is fantastic. I think that's the, uh, you know, the hardest thing to do. You know, when you have a, especially a family history. I've, I've got that too of women being in abusive relationships, and to break mm-hmm. free of that and break the cycle and do things differently is is incredible. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing. Well, it. hey, I think we're probably uh, running out of we time. We are. We are at time. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. I'm sorry I couldn't be there physically, um, but it was really great to hear your story. Uh, interesting, hilarious, uh, sad, and, and wonderful all at the same time. <laughs> That's life, right? <laughs> you can contact the podcast at brokebrokenpodcast at gmail.com. The Broken Broken Podcast can be found online at www.brokebrokenpodcast.com on Twitter at Broke Broken Show, on Instagram and Facebook at Broke Broken Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube.